There's nothing like a report that raises questions about government spending and whether the public is getting its money's worth to get a lot of headlines going. In the U.S., Medicare funding for graduate medical education has recently been in the spotlight, coupled with some recommendations to better align GME, as it's called, with the priorities of health reform and transformations taking place in healthcare delivery. However the financing discussions play out, educators in this space have been working for some time to help physician trainees champion and master the skills and behaviors of patient safety and healthcare quality improvement. With the creation of the Clinical Environment Learning Review, now referred to as CLEAR, an even deeper linkage is being forged between residency training and the goals of healthcare organizations. It's a new and important step, which is why we're going to talk about CLEAR and what it represents broadly and specifically on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement offered biweekly, and also for your later listening and convenience, you can find it on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. In a way, any roadmap for training quality physicians today that's separate from achieving high-quality health care is wrong on its face. But for a whole host of historical and academic and structural and operational and cultural reasons, it's been hard to turn that consensus into new realities on the ground. Could CLEAR be a game-changer? I'm going to introduce our guests in just a moment, but first, here's IHI's John Gothier here in the studio with some reminders about how to make the most of your time with us on WIHI today. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to make everybody, uh, help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the sque- screen is our chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor of questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see the questions and comments being shared. Of course, there are a few ways that folks have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged on to the computer and listening to WIHI by streaming audio coming through speakers or headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a slower or less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio hiccups, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. But a simple solution to any hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. I'll flash a slide with that number. There it is. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slide, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at, 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 at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking to improve our listener experience here on WIHI, and of course, we need your help for that. Please take some time after the program to fill out a quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right, John. Thank you very much. A reminder that we welcome tweets. If you like to use Twitter, thanks for using at the IHI, our handle in your tweets. Let me now briefly introduce our guests on the phone and sitting together 
in their Chicago office. Kevin Weiss has devoted his medical career to issues of healthcare quality, equity, and access to care, and training physicians and other healthcare providers in healthcare improvement. At the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, or ACGME, he's Senior Vice President for Institutional Accreditation and is responsible for the new CLEAR program. He also co-chairs the CLEAR Evaluation Committee. Much more about Kevin on his bio on the screen, as is true with all our guests today. Sitting with Kevin is Robin Wagner. She's the Vice President of the CLEAR program at ACGME and as such is responsible for overseeing the development and implementation of all aspects of CLEAR from the site visits to program evaluation. Robin is a registered nurse with over 25 years of experience in the healthcare environment. Welcome to you, Robin and Kevin. So glad that you could be with us. Well, thanks. Thank you. Terrific. Here in the studio with me, Maren Batalton is Senior Medical Director of Hospital Quality and Associate Director of Graduate Medical Education for Quality and Safety at the Cambridge Health Alliance in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Maren is clinically active as a practicing hospitalist and is engaged in teaching both medical students and residents. Glad you're here, Maren. Thank you. And James Moses is also in the studio, sitting across from me. He's the Medical Director of Quality Improvement at the Boston Medical Center here in Boston, Massachusetts, overseeing the QI training program there and its integration with the education of emerging health professionals at Boston Medical Center. James also serves as the academic advisor to IHI's Open School. Thanks, Pat. All right, great that you're all here. Okay, so we're going to jump right in here. Thanks, all of you who joined. If you like what you hear today, we welcome uh, your letting people know about the link that will be available on our website and on iTunes tomorrow so we can really help spread this good content and the discussion we're about to have. So the first question is going to go to Kevin Weiss at ACGME. And the way I want to start off is by saying this. So anytime any one of us is taken care of by a medical resident, Kevin, we're by default trusting that the learner is also a good and scaled, excuse me, skilled caregiver, and if he or she is practicing in a particular institution, that he or she shares that institution's ambitions and expectations on the quality of care and patient safety front. So my question is, is there a yes, but or and that goes along with that assumption that ACGME is now trying to address more head on. And welcome again. Well, thanks so much. And there is a yes uh, and rather than a yes but um, in terms of how we're beginning to, to take a look at that. And maybe I can do that by way of, a, of a, uh, just a, a short set of thoughts that maybe uh, would be helpful. Um, for those listeners, it's a pleasure to be there. ACGME is uh, um, a, a new partner in IHI in terms of talking about these issues. Um, uh, ACGME, of course, uh, um, credits the um, uh, graduate medical education programs in the U.S. Uh, and uh, through ACGME, I International is starting to do uh, some work uh, in accrediting programs internationally as well. So welcome to a broad set of listeners. Um, what I uh, hear in your question is, uh, are we advancing um, uh, alignment between what is the educational opportunity for learners and the care process um, for patients? And uh, our mission at ACGME is to uh, um, improve the quality of care for patients uh, by training um, the best by providing the best possible training accreditation process to uh, help drive that. 
Um, CLEAR is uh, the Clinical Learning Environment Review Program was designed just to do that. Um, for the uh, listeners uh, who uh, can see the screen um, uh, uh, on the WebEx, uh, I've put up an article uh, that was uh, a statement to this effect that we at ACGME made about two years ago in JAMA. The, uh, so uh, for those of you who'd like to read a little bit more, please feel free to. And as, uh, also this slide is a reminder that if you want additional detailed materials on CLEAR, uh, feel free to come to the ACGME website, um, and there's a CLEAR button, and you just kind of go there and there'll be a number of um, uh, useful tools there for you uh, as, as you think about it. However, um, in this context, um, we're talking about the clinical learning environment, and this is what surrounds the learner every single day of his or her journey uh, into becoming an independent practice practitioner. For us at ACGME, that's a physician, but it could just as easily be a learner that is a nurse or um, uh, other kinds of providers uh, or other members of the staff who are just learning how to exist and deliver care in a good environment. Uh, for physicians, of course, that's a very well-prescribed set of activities that's um, uh, defined often uh, uh, by curriculum and uh, other activities and other expectations driven by accreditation requirements. CLEAR steps aside from that um, uh, as an ACGME program and says, what is the environment like upon which learners are learning in? And um, it's not the first time that this has been looked at. Nursing has been doing this for a long time. This is the first time in medicine we have taken this on as a formal responsibility. Uh, the CLEAR program, which is the Clinical Learning Environment Review, is an activity that we do by going visiting um, uh, the institutions to better understand this. So I'm going to ask Robin to sort of speak a couple minutes about what that program looks like. Thanks, Kevin. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. Um, so uh, in developing this brand new program, the ACGME Board of Directors asked us to focus on, on six areas. And they are, as you see on the screen, patient safety, healthcare quality improvement, transitions in care, supervision, duty hours with a focus on fatigue management and mitigation, and professionalism. And, and also, as you see on the screen, these are not discrete areas. We do recognize there's a lot of overlap between them. Um, we uh, developed this program as a site visit program to um, what we call sponsoring institutions. Those are institutions that ACGME recognizes as being responsible for residency programs. Um, they are two to three day visits, and we started our um, we, we, we started this program by um, visiting those institutions that had more than one or multiple program residency programs. Um, we realized that. Um, that residents often go to more than one hospital, and we were targeting one hospital or medical center per sponsoring institution. Um, and in doing this, we structure the visit as um, a combination of group meetings and uh, walking rounds. So we start off with a meeting with bringing together senior leadership, um, senior leadership from graduate medical education, along with the senior leadership from that hospital or medical center, so the chief executive officer, chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, and others, and, and also a resident representative um, from GME leadership. And we get their take, a very high-level take, on, on um, resident engagement in these six focus areas. We also meet throughout the course of the visit with groups of residents, with groups of faculty, and with groups of program directors, um, and also with the patient safety and um, quality improvement leadership of the hospital or medical center. And then in between those group meetings, we go out onto the floors. The site visitors go onto all the floors and units where, where residents are delivering 
bedside care or performing procedures, and it's a great opportunity to meet with um, other healthcare providers and, and get their take on resident engagement in these areas. So we talk with nurses and pharmacists and technicians and other residents um, as well. Um, at the end of the visit, we come together and we bring the senior leadership group back together and, and we share um, a report, an oral report of findings right there before we leave. Um, and that is the first opportunity for us to reflect back um, on some of, of our observations. Um, as Kevin mentioned earlier, this, um, this new program is, is separate from accreditation. So this is not a program that results in citations. Um, this is formative feedback, and so it's meant to just provide reflections and observations um, without giving uh, recommendations, but rather leaving it up to the organizations um, to, to have conversations and decide themselves what their priorities will be and, and where they'd like to proceed in terms of making improvements. Um, we do follow the oral report about um, six weeks later with a written report, narrative report that, that's simply um, putting in writing what we've, what we've said orally. And then um, we also invite the, the program at the time, to, the organization at the time, to provide us some um, feedback in terms of a response. And by and large, the program has been very well received and from the responses we've seen um, that, that you know, they are making a commitment to um, Choosing more one of those one or more of those areas to to make some improvements in in improving resident engagement. So, more just a couple more thoughts mm -hmm. and and sort of in yeah. this intro sort of thinking Thanks, on that. Yes. Um, on, sure. There's um, uh, on the webex for those who can see it is a front page of um, of a very short but a, uh, important uh, statement from as we see it from ACGME to the to the community at large about quality and and the learning environment that was published in the New England Journal. Uh, at the beginning of this year. After about 100 of the visits done, we um, uh, uh, reviewed what we had seen so far and uh, recognized a couple things. One is, is that there is some real large gaps um, in terms of how learners are fully engaged in safety and quality and um, some of the other areas that we've, we've uh, been looking at. Uh, that led to um, a declaration by our CEO at ACGME, Tom Naska, and Jim Bajian, uh, uh, who uh, along with me sits as a co-chair to the evaluation committee for this program, to make a public declaration in the New England Journal saying that we have to do better. Uh, I encourage for those of you who would like to read it, it's short and it's good and in terms of a, a quick read. Um, that activity led to um, the development of a uh, Pathways document, which um, is the final thought uh, in, by way of where we are at the program, by way of uh, this introduction. Uh, so if we can have the next slide. Um, uh, and for those who are uh, able to see on the WebEx, this is um, the clear pathways to excellence. Uh, for those who um, are just listening, uh, you can get a copy of this um, by way of the um, our website, acgme.org, and it comes down as a PDF, and feel free to download. The uh, pathways provide some detail as to each of these six areas as to what would be expectations for a high learning, high quality learning environment. I remember being reminded um, in in what we're trying to do here for learners and physicians is our is is what our responsibility is, but it's truly for all the learners in the patient care environment around quality and safety. Um, think about it as we're trying to teach people how to drive. We can teach them how to drive a car, but you put that same person who's been taught to drive a car. Um, uh, on a side street and you put them on a major highway or you put them um, in, uh, uh, in a country where the uh, drivers are on the other side of the road, 
um, or you put them on a mountain road in Bhutan, and that same driver has a different set of skills. Uh, even though they started out with the total competency to manage their initial environment on the on the um, side streets of, of their community, they were not necessarily well equipped to, to manage other environments. Um, the environment shapes the learning and process, and uh, we're, we're seeing that and uh, learning a lot about it. It's the beginning of a journey, and we look forward to um, uh, learning more as we go, as we start to visit more institutions and report these out um, as findings. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Kevin and Robin. And before I turn to um, Marin and James, uh, here, here's just one quick pop question from me. Um, if I asked you maybe um, what were some either standout things that you've witnessed so far on the site visits or any surprises, whichever way it goes, either in terms of gaps or maybe things actually being further along than you thought, what might you say? And I hope that's not too much of a surprise question. I'm just well, I'll keep it short because yeah. I want to hear from our colleagues because they, yeah. they're going to give uh, yep. the listeners a real chance to hear what it sounds like in the field. But um, I'd say that the, there's a, the gap is um, uh, pretty wide in terms of uh, a very basic and fundamental activity of medicine, which is, you know, uh, uh, physician do no harm, is the safety issue. Um, there are very few places in the country that we visited who um, our site visit teams felt like they left feeling like the residents were fully engaged in the patient safety agendas of those organizations in a, in a, in a really meaningful way. And so we, um, everything kind of builds up from safety, and, and so we're, we, we have work to do. And I think it's good work, and there's lots of opportunities. The, on, the, on the positive side was we were, so we were really pleased to see the amount of work, um, uh, some of it very nascent, but, but uh, pretty much ubiquitous, about residents' um, interest and movement towards quality act improvement activities. I say nascent because um, uh, in some cases residents um, were doing very good quality projects that actually made it to changes in, as institutional changes. Uh, those were, sadly enough, at the moment, uh, rare events, but they do happen, and it's exciting to see when it does happen. Um, most of the activity rests, uh, as it probably should, in the departmental level and at the individual um, residents sort of looking at their own practice. Um, pretty nascent in terms of the skill set and the methods, but the interest is just infectious across the country in terms of quality. So we're really excited about that. Okay, very good. I appreciate uh, th that uh, addition there. All right, we're going to switch gears. Thanks, Kevin and Robin from ACGME. And I'm going to go over now to Marn Batalden here. So the Cambridge Health Alliance has had a clear site visit. And uh, Marin has spoken of this uh, very clearly and, and eloquently on a couple of videos that are on the IHI.org open school uh, web pages. Um, and those are in our kind of hit list of uh, links to share with you as well. But we're going to, we have her now to tell us. <laughs> we don't need the tape, but we've got Marin right here. So tell us about uh, the Cambridge Health Alliance and its residency program, and then about that visit and what stood out about all of it. And thanks again. Thank you so much, Madge. And Kevin and Robin, thank you for your comments as well. Uh, so just by way of context, the Cambridge Health Alliance is a safety net system that serves patients in the metro Boston area. We have a network of clinics providing primary care and behavioral health and specialty services, as well as three emergency departments and two community hospitals across five communities, as you can see on the map if you have access to the WebEx. Um, we are affiliated with both Harvard and Tufts Medical Schools, and we have seven ACGME accredited programs in internal medicine and family medicine and four different psychiatry programs, uh, as well as a transitional year internship program. 
And for us, I think it, it makes sense to think about the CLEAR program as sort of a lens that we have used to look at ourselves. And it's certainly helpful to think about the six priority areas that the ACGME has articulated as part of the CLEAR program, the healthcare quality and safety and transitions of care, supervision, uh, duty hours, professionalism. But the CLEAR program invites us to use this lens to look not at our programs in GME, but actually at the institution itself, which is what's new. Um, I think that using this clear lens to look at ourselves, uh, even before the site visit, we were able to see opportunities for improvement in, I would say, sort of three domains. The first is what I would just call infrastructure. So if we're going to be serious about building an infrastructure that allows the institution to deliver on the mandate to have a, a healthy clinical learning environment that's producing not only high quality safe care, but also um, a good experience for our trainees, we need to think about breaking down these silos that have kept GME separate from the institutional uh, leadership and infrastructure. I think CHA, not, not so different than what I would imagine is the case in most uh, institutions, GME has kind of lived in a silo within the institution. And so I think that this clear program uh, framework or lens allows us to think about what do we need to do to break down those barriers and help the institution assume appropriate responsibility for the clinical learning environment and also uh, allow residents to have a more meaningful voice in shaping the system that they're practicing in. So some, some concrete examples, uh, we created a position, which is my position as associate GME director, but my principal role is really as medical director of quality for the institution so that my, my uh, location in the institution is in institutional quality leadership and the, the new role allows me to bridge the relationship with GME. Uh, it's also the case that we had to find meaningful ways to get residents a seat at the table for all of our quality and safety committees. And that can be challenging because residents have schedules that make it difficult for them to participate in committee meetings. And so uh, actually linking a seat on the, our principal committees to specific rotations allows residents to rotate through the conversation and participate in meaningful ways. We also, as a part of the response to the CLEAR mandate, created new forums for residents to meet and give feedback about the clinical learning environment, not to their program directors, but to me and to other institutional leaders, so that we could have real ways of listening and responding to resident voices. The, the second domain, um, I would say, that the CLEAR lens has allowed us to take action in is in the domain of policy. So we looked at our institutional and GME policies and, and, and felt like we had good policies related to supervision and duty hours, but we felt like we had opportunities for improvement in setting some standards around transitions of care. What are best practices for different programs? And again, this allows us to look not at the level of the individual program, but across programs at the level of the institution. Uh, we also uh, realized that we didn't have a very robust policy on, on resident mistreatment. And again, the clear lens helped us to see that. And so we were able to clarify what residents are supposed to do when they feel as though they're being mistreated. Where can they reach out? Maren, can I just ask very quickly, what, what, what's the range of things you're thinking about in terms of mistreatment? What could those issues be? Um, 
si- being silenced or feeling intimidated or yeah. yeah I think we're really sort of trying to cast a broad net that if residents feel as though they are uh, being mistreated in any way being uh, okay. harassed being not listened to okay. that they feel like they don't have a voice we they have always felt I think as though they could go to program directors but when it's a problem that is beyond the program director I think it hasn't always been clear wh- where do I go within the institution with a with a problem or a concern okay thanks uh-huh um, and then the, the third domain, so infrastructure changes and policy changes. And then we also realized that we actually just needed some data that we didn't have. We needed information if we were going to be in some sort of real way monitoring the clinical learning environment in the way that the ACGME uh, seemed to want us to be monitoring it. And so, for example, just counting the number of risk reports that were filed by residents turned out to be an important piece of information that allowed us to prioritize making it easier for residents to file risk reports. Um, We also had to develop a new methodology for our residency programs to self-report in the annual program evaluation review process so that they could actually report on aspects of the clinical learning environment that mattered to the CLEAR mandate. So that includes what are you doing related to curriculum for uh, residents in quality and safety, Uh, but it also includes uh, opportunities for program leaders to report on ways in which their residents are engaged in the work of quality and safety within their uh, their departments. yeah, so we have some um, other fun images here. I just want to, John, to maybe just to show them. Thank you. So, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So just briefly, yeah, um, right. what I was uh, wh- what I was getting at there was yeah. that the, the clear site visit itself uh, was an opportunity really for us to um, to look at ourselves in the mirror. And the idea there was that it's not just uh, GME program leaders or residents or faculty that are looking at the clinical learning environment. It's actually our CEO and our CNO and our CQO and our uh, institutional quality and safety leaders. And we're all looking at the same reflection of the clinical learning environment, which inspired us to think together about our shared responsibility for creating this clinical learning environment. One of the neat things that I think has come out of that uh, is a, a new um, CEO Clinical Learning Environment Innovation Challenge Award. So we have a small grant from the Arnold P. Gold Foundation that our CEO has dedicated to uh, change-making at the level of the residents and graduate medical education trainees so that they can actually participate in trying to improve the quality of the clinical learning environment with the support of the CEO. Very interesting, and I love these images. Thank you very much, Maren. Very good stuff. I'd love it if folks uh, are working in institutions or part of programs that also maybe have some innovation challenge uh, opportunities like this. That would be sort of interesting uh, to find out about. All right, we're going to turn now to uh, James Moses from uh, Boston Medical Center. James, I invite you to reflect on anything um, you've heard thus far and compare and contrast in terms of what's going on at Boston Medical Center, but James is also here to give us some idea of what's going on at the IHI Open School because it's one of the things he's also really working hard on uh, in this in this space. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, very similarly at the Boston Medical Center, uh, I also serve as the Medical Director of Equality and in that role have also 
um, uh, have the purview and the oversight of kind of the clear activities within the institution. So um, we definitely share uh, similar uh, experiences. Um, I think the, the first reflection point be, before I kind of get into the open school piece is, um, uh, you know, the, right now, uh, before, uh, before really kind of clear had moved forward within our institution, everybody was trying to invent the wheel in their silo. Uh, we have over 70 training programs at the Boston Medical Center. And uh, there really wasn't a central process or a supported infrastructure related to uh, how do you help residency programs locally uh, teach quality improvement, patient safety, transitions of care. Um, there wasn't a, a common dialogue. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the faculty across the board and the programs across the board um, uh, were struggling uh, with that because the content expertise of quality and safety is, is not that uh, shared, especially kind of at large faculty in the sense of the skill set that they have. Um, and uh, I found one of the major benefits of having a central process and a central office doing this is just bringing people together so their barriers and the constraints and the struggles uh, can be shared um, and, and in essence the solutions can also have that kind of shared framework for us as an institution. So that's been uh, an added learning point, not only getting the leadership on board and seeing this as important and relevant, um, but uh, allowing for programs and faculty to come together to tackle uh, some of these issues uh, um, not alone. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I get the benefit of kind of having my uh, frontline role within a training institution, but getting to step out and take a, a 30,000 foot view with the open school, um, which is really a privilege. And um, uh, in a lot of ways, the CLEAR initiative has been well aligned with what the open school mission and goals are, which is trying to equip um, the healthcare professionals of the future with the skills that they need in order to help healthcare transformation move forward. And, um, and the, the idea that uh, the open school could play a part in, in helping clear and helping um, uh, really institutions uh, uh, across the nation um, help achieve the clear success in their, uh, by leveraging uh, the open school as a common resource has been our framework and, and our process. So uh, specifically, um, we have developed uh, uh, six modules um, that are tied to educating uh, faculty, uh, program directors, uh, leadership, um, really any uh, uh, anybody who has a part in, in CLEAR uh, at a local uh, level. Um, uh, uh, we designed these modules to help not only explain what CLEAR is, um, but we've also designed them to talk about and address the how and the why of CLEAR. And, um, you know, I, I think an important comment here is I think historically the context of quality and healthcare quality and safety has been institutions uh, taking um, uh, strategies that were exclusion, uh, in which the residents were, were excluded from, and in essence improving healthcare quality despite having residents was the mentality. Uh, and, and very much I think what I find 
uh, so powerful about Clear is the flipping of that paradigm of the only way an institution is going to be successful along quality and safety lines is because of the engagement of residents and fellows on the front lines of care and quality and safety. And uh, a lot of what these modules uh, get at is what are the strategies to actually achieve that engagement? Um, what can you as a faculty member, what are the strategies you can actually individually do when you're on service or you're precepting in a clinic to help um, uh, role model uh, the, the uh, the kind of behaviors and attitudes and actions of uh, what it means to practice quality and uh, patient safety in everyday occurrence. Um, and uh, I would just add as a final thought of, pr it's pretty well established in the literature that one of the major drivers um, that hasn't been tackled has been how do you activate faculty? That this is not simply getting leadership to engage directly with the residents and leaving the faculty out. Um, this is about kind of everybody within the institution as um, uh, from start to finish, from the front line to the back end, uh, coming together to do this. And right now, um, uh, it's, the faculty have never been charged with having to lead and model these behaviors for the trainees. Um, and they don't know how to do it. Um, and we felt it was very important for the open school to step into that space and, and offer uh, the training that faculty would need in order to be effective uh, educators on the front lines as they think about healthcare transformation. Well, thank you very much, James. John, will you go back to um, that slide about the courses here? So a reminder to everybody, if you're only, um, if you're tuned to us just by phone, remember you can get any of the resources we're referring to today and showing by emailing info at IHI.org. And that uh, URL that's up there uh, that will give you a peek at these two modules, just so you know, <laughs> this was by special arrangement an opportunity for the WIHI audience today. So this is another good reason, if you like what you heard today, um, to let others know that they can also kind of get a jump um, on, the on this material and further material uh, that will be coming out, I guess, later this uh, fall and in, into the winter. Um, I'm going to just ask James one question, and then we're going to um, do a transition here to Q&A and chat and start thinking about things you'd like to ask. I think, James, you've been on WIHI at least uh, once or twice before. We've talked about different issues. I think in one program we talked a lot about duty hours um, as a big issue at the time and remaining uh, one that is being worked on. Um, but as I recall, there was a show in which we talked about a lot of resistance uh, from faculty, that structurally things were just talking past each other. Are we getting, is, is there kind of a new will here? Are we getting beyond that? It was a lot about sort of academia almost being structured in some way that had nothing to do with or very little to do with what an organization was trying to uh, put on its agenda in yeah. terms of transformation. Yeah, I remember that. It, you know, it was a couple of years ago, and it was it was really before Clear was uh, was even a thought, um, at least publicly. Um, uh, probably it was there privately. Uh, I do have to say this is one of the wonderful things about the Clear Initiative and the approach that ACGME has taken. Um, 
the, the idea that programs locally were going to be trying to get faculty to engage as role models and educators in quality and safety without any mandate coming from leadership uh, just was going to constantly be an uphill battle. Um, it was even an uphill battle to get programs to understand the importance and relevance of doing that, especially um, given the other priorities uh, and realities that programs have to address as part of the training programs and requirements that are set. How do you actually make it so that quality and safety uh, become a priority within a training program? And by having constructive, positive conversations starting at the top of an institution, by having this be about the context of care, the context of learning in the environment, um, it's really helped me, and I, I don't know, if Marin, if you can comment too, but it, I, right now there are doors that are open to conversations in a way within my institution that were closed before. Um, people are coming to me to ask for help. That is a much better uh, process for me to be successful in than me having to knock on closed doors and say, hey, let's talk about quality and safety. You would agree, Marin? Oh, absolutely. I think the power of having an external mandate is just can't be underestimated. So that in many ways uh, this is a it's a conversation that uh, people like I think James and myself and many, many others who are committed not only to improving quality and safety but improving education about quality and safety, we have been waiting for an external mandate to partner with uh, in order to try and really leverage this change. So uh, interesting. And um, all right, maybe um, I see your questions here, and we're going to we'll tee those uh, – uh, get to those right away. Kevin, I just want you to comment, or you and Robin. Is that sort of the idea of uh, a, this program from your perspective, uh, to help <laughs> these folks in the <laughs> trenches? And they're using the word mandate. Um, this is, at this point, a, um, a learning um, exercise that you've been talking about, but I, it's, it's, on its it's on the road to becoming part of uh, some kind of a mandate, I guess you would say, or accreditation. Let me, uh, let me clarify. There, um, yep. Because I want to make sure that so the listeners are. Um, we um, this is a grand experiment, uh, grand in the sense that it's national in scope, where the board of ACGME uh, and Tom Naska as its as as the leader of, of ACGME, um, with the help of an outside group of experts. Uh, thought long and hard about how they wanted to try and um, uh, uh, help in making change to a better health care system, said, let's not, let's not use the hammer. Let's not use the mandate. Let's try a formative learning process. Let's put out in front of the community what we think is important, um, not make judgment on them, but give them reflection, uh, make that reflection as accurate and and timely as possible, and trust that the um, what we all believe, and this is uh, comes out of IHI for years. And I remember uh, early, early Don um, uh, mentioning this that you know that we're all coming to work to do really wonderful things, and no one wants to see the wrong thing happen. So when ACGME put this forward, we just we were we're trusting the fact that if we put the information in, um, in front of the community and hold it up for us all to see in, in very discreet and, and from a protected way that the community will, will take action and do the right thing. And uh, so we've, we've set up the conversation and we're going to keep the conversation very focused as to what we're interested in and we're hoping that that 
conversation, which we're striking all the way up to the top leadership of all the major teaching hospitals and all the academic health centers, um, to say, we are going to be back on a regular basis having this conversation with you. We trust you're going to make things better. Now, that's our mandate, if there's anything. It's the conversation. It's not the judgment, though, and that's really important for the listeners to, to mm -hmm. know. We are not yep. going to see this as a hammer. Got it. Yes, thank you. And Marin? I also think that that's really critical to the success of the program because my own perspective is that as soon as there are uh, very clear, high-stakes uh, judgment associated with our behavior, we won't be learning anymore, we won't be telling the truth anymore, and we actually won't be advancing the cause in the same way. Okay, thank you very much. All right, uh, it looks like folks are uh, getting some stuff into chat. Uh, come one, come all, more comments. We're going to get uh, get to those. John, just a quick reminder in case people need a uh, little primer on how to take part in the chat. Yep, just make sure that all uh, questions and comments are directed to all participants in the send to bar down in the chat. All right, thank you very much. All right, um, I'm going to stick with Marin just for a moment here. A couple of questions. One has to do... Um, somebody is asking, could you share how the risk reporting for residents is structured um, and uh, making it easier for residents to um, re um, report and increase reporting? Somebody is also curious, where does the funding come <laughs> for that, uh, that GME uh, spot that you have now? Right. Yeah. Uh, so my, I report to our chief quality officer and all of my, all the funding for my position uh, comes from our quality management department. Um, okay. The risk the reporting. Risk yeah. reporting. So one of the consequences uh, in part of our site visit was a decision to upgrade our risk reporting software. So we use a program called RL Solutions and we, uh, in part, the impetus uh, for the upgrade came from feedback that we got from residents about how hard it was for them to use their system. So we're still in the process of configuring the upgraded system. But one of the really interesting and nice things about our uh, initiative is that our union, our resident union, uh, and James uh, has residents who are unionized in the same way that uh, our residents are unionized, uh, has really taken risk reporting on as a priority. And so they've actually led the charge related to uh, getting groups of residents together to talk about risk reporting and to try to minimize some of the negative valence around risk reporting. Okay, thank you very much. Question um, that came up, one of the first here, how do you propose measuring competency compliance with principles of patient safety and quality improvement in faculty, residents, and fellows? Um, I don't know if that's something that, James, you want to start yeah. off with that one. Thank you. Um, I actually think probably all of us could comment on approaches because I think there's a lot of different approaches. So um, in a lot of ways, you have to measure what you think is going to be important. There, is gonna be, there isn't going to be one unified validated tool uh, that one can use to say, hey, we've, you know, we've achieved uh, success. Um, so uh, I think that's an important reflection point. I, I think the Pathways did a really good job of setting up kind of some goals uh, that could be leveraged for objective measures. Uh, the idea, you know, how many reports per month uh, in the voluntary adverse event reporting systems come from residents or trainees uh, as one of the metrics. The, um, you know, 
to what degree are there QI projects in which trainees um, that are tied to the hospital priorities in which trainees are playing a, a salient and important role? Um, uh, you know, to what degree uh, do um, is there um, evidence that uh, a standardized acronym for handoffs is robustly and rigorously actually being used in a regular way? Uh, some of this will take efforts and, and resources from a hospital standpoint. Um, uh, at BMC, we've had a very good partnership between the quality department, which includes the risk side as, uh, as well as the quality improvement side, uh, with our GME office uh, so that we could start putting together uh, really what in essence are true process measures uh, related to, hey, if we are, are activating and engaging uh, faculty, leadership, and residents and fellows along these lines, mm -hmm. what are their behaviors going to be and can we measure those? Okay. Any thoughts on that as well, Marin? Anything to add on some of the measuring of this? Are you kind of in a similar spot as, as James right now in the process of developing some of these? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I have any um, really clearly well-developed measures that he didn't mention. I think that uh, right now, we're at a place, certainly in terms of collecting information from our programs, in which we're asking for more descriptive and qualitative information than we are using numbers on dashboards, because that feels more useful to us at this stage as we're trying to really shape and improve the culture. Okay, thank you very much. And Go ahead, Kevin. Madge, if I could, yeah, please. Yeah, uh, uh, as we think through this, and, and it's going to be an iterative process of, of because we're new at thinking about what's important here. Um, we at ACGME are, um, um, are going to be trying to share good solutions um, and not trying to figure that there's a best way to do things, but there's probably a lot of really good ways of getting it done. Um, one of the things that I'm struck with is the opportunity to ask new questions uh, about measurement uh, as to what's really important. and. Um, an example in my mind as I get the chance, the, the real privilege to talk with residents around the country and in their own environment and, you know, at odd hours of the day and whatever. And, um, and then when I'm struck with a resident who's been in an institution for four or five years, um, uh, maybe a surgery resident, and they're getting ready to graduate, and I've asked them if they've been through a process of identifying a safety event and seeing what it is to try and analyze that event and improve it, and they say, thankfully not. Um, I asked myself the question, is is that the learner that we wanted to um, see exit that institution, and, and was that a goal um, uh, that was missed? Um, and had anyone talked about how many of their learners they want to exit their, their learning environment without that knowledge and experience. And if they can't give it to everyone in the same way, how can they give it to everyone in a meaningful way that at least when they go out to the next stage of their life, whether it be advanced training or independent practice or into an academic um, role, that they, that, that they can contribute because they've been part of that experience before they finish their formal training. So when you start opening up yourself to a new dialogues like that, as I find myself in, the measures may look a little bit different than we're looking at right now. Um, um, and I sort of leave ourselves the opportunity to sort of create, and, and, and maybe uh, what I was hearing in, in Marin is, is that very sort of idea that, that you know, the measures aren't there yet. And maybe part of it is we need to ask ourselves, what's the, really the important outcomes of learning environments? 
Sounds so interesting and more to come. And I really look forward to our, you know, touching down with all this again in the not too distant future. Robin, I have uh, one more, one more oh, comment Marin, go on for it. measurement, yep. which is that yep. I think another thing that I, I feel we're doing to a much greater extent than we were, say, two years ago, is trying to um, look at patient outcomes and quality and safety metrics and, uh, and use um, those to think about how we have residents uh, and trainees assigned to work in such a way that they're working in a particular clinical learning environment that is producing outcomes for patients so that we can have uh, data that residents can use to understand the way in which they're participating in the outcomes of their clinical microsystems, uh, whether those are particular units on the in the hospital where we have the, uh, patients and where we have patients being cared for by residents, so we actually have dedicated teaching units, and we can look at their outcomes uh, and help residents engage with those outcomes. And I think that it's it's just another spin on the, the the construct of what metrics actually matter. And the more we can organize work in such a way that uh, patient care outcome metrics are meaningful to residents, the I think the the better we will be at doing this work. Okay, terrific. I want to invite uh, everyone who's uh, with us on the call today, if you feel like it, to chat in. Uh, you know, you have a great opportunity here, uh, not only with Marin and James from particular programs at organizations, healthcare organizations, but also with Kevin and Robin, if there are things you want them to be thinking about, uh, given what an amazing opportunity this iterative process is presenting right now as a discussion. That means back and forth. Um, so please feel free uh, if you have some ideas. Uh, if you've had a clear, uh, clear excuse me, site visit, um, please share anything that you learned from that. If you're anticipating one, um, maybe talk about how your organization is getting ready. I'm curious what kind of feedback people are hearing from residents themselves. Uh, who are being made aware uh, of all of this, um, and perhaps our guests can speak to that as well. Quickly, though, Robin, I wonder if you would mind tackling just a couple technical questions. Somebody has asked, has anyone had a second clear site visit? Does anyone know what the cycle time for clear visits will be? My impression is that the visits are behind the originally anticipated schedule for every 18 months. So there was that question. And then there's one about the possibility is GME um, collaborating with um, CME to create an optimal clinical learning environment. So graduate medical education writ large, I guess, um, collaborate in terms of uh, course material um, in, in some sense. That may be more a program, a question for all, <laughs> all who work in this space, but if ACGME has any thoughts, please share. Thanks. Um, sure. First, the, uh, the answer to the, the, the technical question of has anyone had a second clear site visit, not, the answer is not yet. Um, we are uh, expecting to come to the close of baseline data collection on the, the first phase or first cycle of visits in, or in the first quarter of 2015. And yes, that um, it, it took us a little bit longer than 18 to 24 months to complete the first cycle, but we do expect to be um, back on track for um, subsequent visits to, to occur every 18 to 24 months going forward. Um, so that's, uh, we, can, we can expect to start the second round of, of clear site visits at the close of or, or right at the end of the, the first quarter of 2015. Okay. Um, 
And um, the second question about uh, connections with um, CME. Um, yes, this is, the, you know, the, the uh, we'd like to think that the approach to the clinical learning environment is to approach a continuum. As, as Kevin said, you know, learners, I mean, we're focused on residents, but there are all sorts of learners um, in, in this environment, and, and James referred to the faculty or learners in this environment, and so, um, yes, we, and medical students are there as well. Um, so, um, you know, ACGME is, is um, coming together and gathering with, with other organizations, other stakeholders who um, have uh, medical education and, and professional development um, as, as a goal to sort of collectively see how we could um, perhaps, you know, identify gaps, address um, and, and align either align or collaborate to, to provide resources. So um, those are those are meetings that we've been having periodically. Um, Kevin, I would invite you to, to add some additional thoughts. Sure. The, um, I understand that there's some um, uh, formal discussions going on at ACCME about uh, CLEAR and mm -hmm. how it wants to help support um, learning uh, uh, in this environment. Um, also, uh, we're hearing a little bit from LCME in terms of um, the undergraduate and their interest in at least knowing more about CLEAR and thinking how it relates to the work in, in, of undergraduate. Um, and uh, to that end, um, I know there's going to be a session at uh, the AAMC's education conference um, that's going to be talking about the continuum of, L of undergraduate, graduate, and um, continuing medical education on CLEAR. So for those of you who might be in a position to you go into that meeting, you should at least know that there's a special session just on that topic. Thanks, Kevin and, and Robin. And I'm aware because we, we had a conversation, probably Mike Bridden and I, Mike, from the Open School with some folks at uh, AAMC also about some of the work that they're trying to do also with regard to faculty and kind of course uh, development. Somebody has asked a question uh, about are you looking at the outpatient environment or just inpatient? And I think that's a great question to maybe, uh, I'm gonna tack it on to <laughs> two of my back pocket questions, which is, is there any aspect to this effort right now with CLEAR uh, to help with um, other, these big changes in healthcare uh, to help focus more on health and populations and, think, and residents thinking uh, about a whole host of issues, not just what happens uh, in, in the hospital? And uh, maybe that's a, I don't know if that puts Kevin on the spot, um, but also I'm curious in any of your residency programs, James or Maren, if you see this as, a, as an opportunity in that way as well. Maren? Uh, uh, maybe I'll oh. go for a second and follow up with that real quick. Okay, yeah, sure. So go ahead. So, so structurally on the site visits, um, we do, um, you know, send site visitors into the ambulatory settings when, um, when it's when it's feasible, when they're on site, um, and or or in very close proximity, and um, when we introduce small and single program sponsoring institutions, many of them are going to be um, situated in ambulatory locations. So we will um, start to increase our, our visits to ambulatory sites going forward. Um, now the. Um, yeah, and population health, I think that's really important, uh, particularly with the way that um, the Affordable Care Act has uh, uh, helped direct us there and, and 
the way that we're managing that um, is through a very focused call out of healthcare disparities. Um, what we're doing as we're going around the country is trying to understand where the strategies are at, at these learning environments, these hospitals, medical centers, um, uh, about what they're doing to address healthcare disparities, study it, make it an improvement activity, and then attach that question to what the learners in their environment are learning about what they are doing. I have to say that, that um, there's a huge gap um, in this area. Um, many of the CEOs of the organizations we visit uh, struggle with the question of, of healthcare disparities in the context of their institutions. Um, as we ask the question as to what their priorities are. Sometimes they lean towards the question of, of a community survey that they're doing and some sort of a community assessment process. Um, it is the rare case indeed where um, any of that uh, work being done, uh, which is really community benefit work, is translated to the knowledge or inclusive of um, involvement, engagement with the residents per se, other than as implementers or um, uh, independent um, uh, interest by residents to do things that we've been doing for decades, which is resident-run cl uh, clinics for homeless or um, inner-city uh, medical school clinics, those sorts of things. So uh, we're, we're, we're touching on it, and we're finding there's a big gap, and the fact that we're going to be there every 18 to 24 months touching on it again means that we're going to be holding that conversation's feet to the fire. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Marin, any reflections on whether this this provides uh, yet another kind of framework around some of these other <laughs> areas and dimensions we want residents to be thinking about? Well, I would just uh, observe that we had actually a, a similar um, experience with the clear site visit, uh, it, given that the healthcare disparities was a priority of the, uh, of the site visitors. Though we're a safety net system and consider ourselves to be very committed to reducing healthcare disparities, it was difficult for many of the interviewed parties to speak to a plan for reducing healthcare disparities. And so just the fact that those questions had been asked inspired us to think differently about the way we were communicating our strategic priorities and goals across the institution. And it has inspired us to think about including uh, conversations about reducing healthcare disparities into our principal healthcare quality improvement forums within the institution. So it was useful to us. That's interesting. James, um, I don't know if you want to add, I know we're sort of getting close to the top of the hour. Somebody is um, asking when you look at healthcare disparities, has there been discussion of the faculty? I don't know what the faculty versus resident practices and how that can contribute. Um, not entirely sure. I get the versus part, but um, if there's any way that you might you uh, might get it. <laughs> well, I think it, this was actually yeah. quite a lot of interpretation, but I yeah. would, uh, um, one thought is you know, a lot of times the structures and processes around f when faculty are in clinic without uh -huh. the residents, that it works differently than when the residents are in clinic. Ah, got it. And, okay. um, and I do think that's a disparity that actually exists. Um, and uh, a lot of the, uh, at least what I see, uh, in my experiences um, is that the structures of those two practices are much different. Um, you have residents who are amidst a 
very rigorous and robust training uh, process that brings them inpatient, um, doesn't necessarily preserve them to only be an outpatient provider, and, uh, and then you have their clinic experience being squeezed in amidst their inpatient responsibilities. Um, and the ability to kind of track patients over time, uh, establish a continuum of a care process is a much more complex and uh, different context of a situation than, than a dedicated primary care physician in a clinic or a dedicated subspecialty person in a clinic. Um, uh, so, so I think that that is something that's there. The only thing I was going to say about the population health is, um, you know, organizations are just uh, having those conversations now, trying to figure out from a strategic standpoint, what is the approach? How do you achieve this? How do you address healthcare disparities? How do you uh, ensure healthcare outcomes of the underserved are, um, are, are being focused on? And I think the exciting thing is, again, the timing of CLEAR really provides um, uh, the impetus to include the residents and the trainees in those dialogues. Um, and it will be exciting to see over time how organizations creatively assimilate the role of the residents and the, and the trainees um, in the process of achieve, achieving outcomes at the population level. Okay, thank you very much. I see there's a, some interesting little questions, uh, but I want to be true to the hour, uh, which is <laughs> the hour when I suspect most of you need to jump off. We might be able to um, follow up with uh, David here uh, with some thoughtful comments, maybe uh, James or Maren uh, after the show or uh, Kevin and Robin. Um, and thank you, uh, Marietta, for some clarification. I didn't quite get that at first, but I understand what you're saying. She said because faculty practices often see patients with better insurance, that can be also a, a pattern. Well, I, um, I I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, everybody, I think there's lots to stay tuned to here uh, in this space at the organizations. We heard from just a few of them, uh, but a very big program uh, that's going to have a lot of stories uh, and evolution to discuss. So I do hope to come back to it. And I want to thank our guests today, Robin Wagner, Kevin Weiss, uh, from uh, ACGME and James Moses from Boston Medical Center and Mara Batalden from the Cambridge Health Alliance. This has been very interesting for me to work on with all of them for every show. WIHI get to jump right in um, to the deep end of a pretty um, substantive topic and uh, hopefully bring you uh, folks some highlights. We invite you to follow up with any of it and all of it. Uh, if you missed any slides or whatever, you can email info at IHI.org. Every, pretty much everything we talked about today is on the website as of tomorrow. Please uh, download the chat. That's a great, useful transcript for you to take with you. Uh, next up on WIHI on October 9th, another um, big topic, mental health care in the hospital, preventing harm, promoting safety. We've got some interesting uh, new work emerging here at IHI to talk about that in a great panel assembled. That info is now on the website, and you can enroll right away if you'd like in a couple of other programs coming up as well in October and early November. Uh, a reminder, if you don't mind, we always appreciate your comments on our survey. It does help us uh, tweak WIHI and make it more useful to you. And uh, sometimes we have some comments up on the Facebook page. And if you tweeted about today's show or tweet about it afterwards, thanks again for putting our, our IHI handle at the IHI in your tweets. The people who help make WIHI possible are John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Lily Stairs. And then there's all kinds of other folks who do all kinds of amazing things uh, throughout the period when we're planning 
implementing a program. So uh, as I like to say, and it just still seems to hold up, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Thank you for being a terrific audience. Thank you to our guests. Good day, everyone.